Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Deeply Technical series. Welcome. Uh, my name is Joe Kuttner. I'm an engineer at Heroku. And today we're going to talk about cloud native build packs. Uh, with me, we have some special guests. I have Terrence Lee, who's also in engineering at Heroku. Uh, and we also have some folks from Pivotal uh, who work with us on the cloud native build packs core team. I'm going to turn it over to them to introduce themselves in a moment, and then we'll talk about what build packs are and why we created this project and what it can do for you. Uh, so, Stephen. Hi, I'm Stephen Levine. I run the build program at Pivotal. I'm a software engineer and a product manager. My name's Emily Casey. I'm an engineer at Pivotal, and I lead the engineering effort on cloud native build packs at Pivotal. Hi, my name's Ben Hale. Uh, I run Java Strategy for Cloud Foundry and for Pivotal, and I'm in charge of the Java build pack in the Cloud Foundry ecosystem. Hi, I'm Terrence Lee. Uh, like Joe mentioned, I work at Heroku, and probably my only claim to fame is that uh, I helped co-create the original build packs API. Cool. Thanks, everyone. I'm really glad that we have such an interesting group of people together to talk about this topic today. Uh, so, Stephen, why don't you uh, start us off and tell us what build packs are? You can think of build packs like an alternative to Docker files, uh, where uh, it's sort of a container native build process that generates an OCI image, but unlike Docker files, it uh, doesn't require very much developer interaction. Um, so, as a developer, you have your source code and you know you use uh, cloud native build packs to you know turn that source code into an OCI image uh, automatically. And you know you can then deploy that through different environments or do whatever you want with it. We're, we're, we're sort of not focused on the deployment aspect of, of building these images. Um, cloud native build packs also provides kind of a nice operator interface for creating build configurations. So because a build pack can be more modular with cloud native build packs, uh, you can sort of uh, you know create a build configuration that you know matches your platform or your your you know sort of users' needs if you you know operate a platform that a lot of developers use. Um, you know, kind of in compared to the old sort of build pack APIs that Cloud Foundry and Heroku have had, um, you know, we're moving to container standards, we build OCI images, uh, kind of uniquely, we uh, don't require a Docker daemon to do builds at all. Uh, so uh, we can build in the cloud in unprivileged containers, and we can make reproducible container images because we sort of build container images manually. So as a developer or engineer who wants to create a Docker image for my application, and I'll open this up to everybody, what are like the number one or number two reasons that I would use build packs over Dockerfile or some other alternative? So I think one of the, the big reasons you might want to use this instead of a Docker file is there's quite a lot of boilerplate in a Docker file and not all applications really are serviced by needing to go through that boilerplate every time. Even in cases where you're using base images and stuff like that, simply having the file around, making sure that your application is installed, all the operating system packages are kept up to date underneath it, can be a real uh, large amount of overhead for an application that is simply, you know, sort of a 12-factor application. And so a build pack gives you consistency, updatability, and sort of takes those responsibilities away from 
uh, your average application developer, which is not to say that all applications um, would benefit from something like this. There are a number that can use Docker files for things that build packs are not particularly well suited for, but we think that there's a large enough of the number of those kinds of applications that we can improve developer velocity by bringing build packs to the table. We hear this internally at Salesforce uh, a bunch and also when talking to kind of the broader communities that uh, people don't necessarily want to be an expert on everything. And I feel like with the way a lot of things have been going, like you feel like you have to not only understand how to build your app, but now like you have to be an expert in doing stuff with Docker and containers and kind of all these things when at the end of the day, you just want to, for a lot of people, they just want to deliver features that are valuable to their customers or the end product. To me, the biggest advantage is that build packs will help you keep your dependencies and your base image up to date. Creating a Docker file accurately the first time is a hurdle most people can clear, but I think very few people regularly go back to their Docker file and update their dependencies as often as they should when CVEs come out. So knowing that you have a build system that can be pulling in new dependencies for you is a major win for security. Yeah, I think a lot of the build pack model is architected around the idea that we want to create a, a mechanism that can deliver secure dependencies to applications. So, uh, you know, we, we have the ability to rebuild images sort of uh, using layers from images that were, were built before in a really efficient way. Um, but we also have the ability to swap out the base image of an, uh, for an image that already exists that might be running in production without changing the application layers, sort of just, just swapping out the ABI compatible part. So there's some sort of unique advantages to the build pack model around security that um, you, know, you, you don't get with the Docker file model, just, just based on sort of how the layers are laid out and the, how, you know, how the technology works underneath. So I'm hearing things like security and audibility and, and things that I would lump into trust or something like that, which are usually concerns related to an enterprise or organizations that have very stringent concerns with uh, compliance. But I'm also hearing about developer velocity and abstractions that allow developers to handle dependencies better. So is Cloud Data Build Packs for big enterprises or is it for small individual developers or is it both? I think it's very much both. I think, um, you know, a, a pivotal the perspective, you know, we're, we're taking for this, this sort of collaboration is uh, that we want to use this for, you know, some, a lot of enterprise use cases. But at the same time, we want to make sure that developers at those enterprises are, are very happy with the uh, sort of experience uh, we provide to. I'm sure you, know, you guys at Heroku have your own perspectives. If you have a tool that makes it so developers can like easily satisfy some of these enterprise constraints, um, just because they're using this tool that like handles auditability and security patching by default, then they can have like a more delightful developer experience because the tool itself satisfies the operator constraints. Yeah, I think you'd, you'd run into a situation in, in enterprises especially or high-performing developer groups where there's effectively two situations that need to be um, uh, taken care of. One is I want a good developer experience, but oftentimes a good developer experience runs afoul of various enterprise requirements and then vice versa. Enterprises want very strict um, restraints and constraints on, on things and that runs afoul of the developer experience. And so the, the Cloud Native Build Packs project from its very inception says that there are two players in this kind of interaction, but always takes into account the idea that you need to satisfy both of them for modern software development today. So how is a Docker image that's generated from a build pack different or the same as one that's generated from a Docker file? 
I think there, there are two aspects to that. One is the sort of layers that end up in the final image. Uh, and there's there's more auditability about where those dependencies that live in those layers come from because the build pack can you know know exactly what it's installing. You can write that metadata on the image. But I think another aspect is that those layers are sort of contractually separate from each other and from the operating system layers. And that means that we can swap sort of any of those parts out uh, individually without rebuilding the whole image when it's safe. And so just the way the image is structured looks very different than how an image would be structured, you know, that's built using a Docker file. And, you know, we get, we get benefits from that sort of change in the structuring. So would you just say it's more transparent compared to what's generated with the Docker file? Yeah, the, the final artifact is very easy to get metadata about what's in the final artifact, to look inside of it and see exactly what was installed. Um, you know, there, there are definitely benefits around that. Yeah, I guess like there's structure and standardization that we put on the image, which is what Stephen was talking about. Whereas a Docker file is having a free for all of like whatever you happen to write in it turns into an image and that's what you get at the end of the day. Um, so we get to take advantage of kind of that structure and standardization to, uh, kind of, to give you these things uh, into the project. Yeah, I, th I think that transparency extends up into the build packs also. So with Cloud Native Build Packs, you know, we've really expanded out on that sort of multi-build pack functionality that Cloud Foundry and Heroku have right now. So if you want to, you can make sort of really modular transparent pieces. Um, you know, it's kind of up to you, the granularity of, of you know, what you provide in that build process itself to for the build packs you select and or create. So how do these uh, Docker images that are generated from build packs interoperate or work with the rest of the container ecosystem. And I guess specifically I'm thinking about things like Knative, uh, how does it relate to things like Jib, uh, those types of things. So Cloud Native Build Packs builds an OCI image at the end. No matter you know, where you use Cloud Native Build Packs, you always get that same output and you can you know, deploy that image wherever you'd like. That could be uh, Kate, that could be Knative, that could be Cloud Foundry, uh, Heroku, and I know you guys support Docker there too, um, wherever. Uh, you know, wherever you want. Uh, just, just to clarify, an OCI image is the same thing as a Docker image. It's just sort of the name of the new standard for Docker images. And I think one of the key takeaways is that the, the specification for build packs, in addition to sort of defining uh, how exactly applications are built in the environment um, that they're built in, also defines uh, quite a lot of information about how they're run and includes components in the end image to guarantee sort of a standardized running environment. So that's what gives us this ability to say, okay, I'm going to build this image somewhere. And it doesn't matter particularly where that is. And then I expect it to run in a very consistent way on all of these different platforms that, that support OCI images. We want this sort of uniformity, this ability to have portability of the end artifact to run in a bunch of different environments and to run the same way in each one of those environments. The Cloud Native Build Packs project is two really major software components that um, are, you know, we, we ship. Uh, one is the Pack CLI, which is really just a CLI for, uh, so it's like the first thing you'd see if you kind of went to build packs IO and started playing the project. And it's really just a CLI for local workstation use. Um, we need Linux containers to do builds of OCI images for, especially for languages uh, you know, that aren't Java or Go, where it's, it's hard to cross compile or even cross package things. So, we need Linux containers, and so the Pack CLI kind of requires a Docker daemon to run locally, even if you're on Linux. But this means that it can run on Linux or Mac or Windows. We really don't intend people to use that uh, kind of like platform implementation. That's the Pack CLI. Instead, 
uh, sorry, when they're building in the cloud. Um, instead, we uh, have a, a separate component we publish called the lifecycle, which is just a set of you know binaries that run inside of a container that kind of run the whole cloud native build packs process. Um, the you know, the lifecycle you can use to do cloud native build packs on uh, native build, which is now called Tecton, sort of, um, or you know on Concourse on on any platform that can run containers. And that's really the direction we encourage people to go for you know building stuff in the cloud. Well, we have seen some some folks use the Pax CLI and CI systems because it is pretty convenient. Um, and so, so we're thinking about things there right now too. Uh, we also have a, a formal language specification for what what the lifecycle sort of does. So you could think of the project as, you know, consisting of sort of three domain objects, um, a platform which is like a like a, a Cloud Foundry or Heroku or Kates or you know Knative Build or Concourse, something that's going to do builds. Uh, the lifecycle, which is like a translation layer between the platform and the last thing, which is a build pack or set of build packs that you know compile applications. And so we've kind of formally defined, or we, we have formal language that defines the, uh, you know, how the lifecycle interacts with the platform and how it interacts with the build pack. So we can provide a consistent interface to build pack authors and create a big community around there, but also so that platforms can easily adopt the lifecycle and sort of the cloud native build packs process for building applications. So those components are all part of the buildpacks.io or cloud native build packs project. Um, where are the build packs? So um, the build packs themselves are actually owned by uh, individual companies. So Heroku has a set of build packs, Pivotal has a set of build packs, and you can create your own build pack. Um, a number of these have been, uh, from, from both Pivotal and um, uh, Heroku, have been open sourced and are available just through the pack CLI, or you can go download them from um, GitHub repositories and use them yourselves. And we expect that commercially, um, certainly on the Pivotal side, we'll also have additional build packs that go to um, uh, Pivotal customers. But again, one of the key things about an open specification like this is that you can write your own internally for your enterprise's use. You can go to you know someplace on the internet and find one for a language that we haven't supported or something like that and include them wherever your, your build lifecycle is. Yeah, I think uh, one of the kind of goals of having a centralized project like Cloud Build Buildpacks was that originally the ecosystems of build packs, though not explicitly separate, were not really a singular ecosystem. So like people that were writing build packs for Cloud Foundry generally would not run them on Heroku and vice versa. Uh, and one of the kind of uh, goals of this project is if like, say, vendor company like New Relic writes an APM build pack that it could run on basically any platform that uh, kind of abides the, the spec that uh, Stephen was talking about. Um, and so it all performs the same across any platform. One of the other goals of the project is to create a build pack API that encourages more modular build packs. In the past, when users wanted to customize a build pack for their specific use case, they would generally take a large build pack and fork it to modify it and then maintain that fork over time. But with the new build pack API, it should be a lot easier to replace the specific module you want to change with your customization. So it sounds like the project has some values like security, transparency, interoperating with the container ecosystem, improving developer velocity and having a good developer experience. Are those uh, problems that you set out to solve at the beginning? Or I guess, how did the uh, BuildPack project start or what was its impetus? Yeah, so certainly, um, and Terrence can, can talk to this in a little bit more detail. We started out with, you know, sort of this build pack project historically, and both Heroku and, um, 
and the Cloud Foundry uh, project both used build packs. We had our own separate ones that were, as, as described earlier, that were very much separate from one another. But as time went on, we definitely noticed themes about these, that there wasn't enough transparency, that we couldn't interop with one another, things like that. And I think that's the biggest um, uh, input into how the Cloud Native Build Packs project works today. When you see those values, almost all of them come out of five plus years of actual real experience with customers. We know that um, forking build packs to make changes, to make contributions wasn't enough. We know that there were a number of people who felt that even though you know there might be some log output in a build without much greater transparency they were they were resistant to it because even though it was giving them value unless they could account for how that value got there they were they were suspicious and so i think many of the the themes that we've been talking about so far aren't just because you know we think these are, are great ideas and certainly they all are it's because we actually had customers come to us and tell us this is what i want to see out of build packs and and cloud native build packs was that sort of inflection point where we could take a look and say, hey, this is critical. We want to include this as part of the specification. The, you know, sort of um, the, the buy-in to using Cloud Native Build Packs guarantees this set of things for you regardless of the platform. Yeah, I mean, just we wanted to have a specification, I guess, to start since the original Build Packs API was not very much of a specification and a lot of it was not formalized. Um, I mean, a lot of this came out of uh, back, Build Packs came out of Heroku when we wanted to basically build a polyglot platform and we basically extracted out kind of the Ruby specific components away from kind of the rest of the build service and kind of extrapolated that into an API and uh, like a lot of things when you're startup and doing things really early you kind of just do the minimal thing and we end up with a very simple API that uh, when the two companies kind of came together to talk about uh, a new spec uh, we realized even the current spec that we have in production today were different and we kind of diverged on what we thought was even in the current build pack API. Yeah, I think when we first started talking about, you know, potentially collaborating on a, on a solution here, we realized that we, we sort of really had a lot of the same problems we were facing, right? That, uh, you know, we, we want to provide developers with a, a, you know, experience that doesn't require a lot of expertise and that results in, in an application that's running in production in the end that, you know, has secure dependencies and they don't have to sort of manage themselves as those, you know, as those dependencies go. Um, but also, you know, we, we had a lot of similar you know, infrastructure concerns about updating, you know, uh, operating system dependencies on our platforms. We had a lot of similar um, you know, concerns about you know, portability in the future for, uh, you know, when you're using build packs to build an image and you want to run that image somewhere that's not Heroku or Cloud Foundry, you know, we want, like, I think both of us, we, we all want to make sure that, you know, you have that option of, of bringing your app wherever it is that it needs to run. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of alignment between the, the interests of the two parties, but at the end of the day, there, these are two different parties with, uh, I mean, actually different companies with different business models. Has that been difficult to sort out or do you think that the the values are ultimately the same or are there differences that 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 help yeah i don't think it's actually been that hard um for us to work between the two teams and in fact i think the the sort of different target audiences and different customer bases that heroku and pivotal bring to the table have been just absolutely complementary there are so many decisions that on the the cloud foundry and pivotal side we would have made that would have resulted in um, a, a worse outcome while there is certainly a lot of 
overlap in the middle. The fact that we care about these two different use cases has led to a much, much stronger specification than we, either of us would have gotten solo on our own. So the project had a beta release a few months ago in April. Uh, what was in that release and what does it signal to the community? Uh, the beta release of the PAXCLI and the lifecycle represents a period of maturity where we feel like the product is ready for build pack authors and potential platforms that would like to integrate with cloud native build packs to start trying out our tools. Um, obviously, until we hit our first major release, there might still be breaking changes, but we're at um, a level of stability that we feel confident with people beginning to integrate and give us feedback on the project. Uh, it, even in addition to just uh, build pack authors and plat, uh, platform developers, I also think it's uh, open to basic general consumption from just normal people who might be interested, who maybe uh, some of the values that we talked about before, like I don't want to write a Docker file because I want to have that developer velocity. I think it's mm -hmm. worthwhile to check out for those people as well. I mean, since nice. April, we've also had a kind of second set of releases with a bunch more fixes. So it's definitely not just like this release we had in April. It's uh, an active project that we're continuing to work on. And part of announcing the beta is it captured feedback, I think, from the broader community and people that are actually using it kind of outside of our two companies uh, and being able to kind of incorporate that feedback and those changes and into the project itself. Okay, so what's ahead for build packs in the next month or two and maybe in the next year? I think we have a lot of breaking changes coming up. So we, you know, we, we sort of have, as the project has kind of gone along, we've had cycles of, of feedback, uh, you, know, you know, releasing uh, something out there with, you know, APIs that are, you know, kind of informed by what our APIs have looked like in the past, um, but also, you know, problems we needed to solve. So we've sort of gone through these rounds of feedback over time where we, you know, release a version of the API and the lifecycle and the PAX CLI, you know, people test it out, maybe write some t sort of dummy build packs against it, try it out with the build packs that we've been working on at, at Cloud Foundry and Heroku sides, uh, and, um, you know, collect feedback on that, collect feedback from the build pack authors we have internally too, and then break a whole bunch of stuff and release it again. <laughs> and so uh, I think we're coming up to, you know, one of those cycles, uh, you know, pretty soon where we're going to make some sort of large changes around how build packs are distributed uh, and the communication mechanism between build packs and also how apps are, are described with sort of an application project descriptor. Um, and, you know, after that, we, we may be approaching, uh, you know, sort of a period of longer term stability. I think we're, we're hitting a a lot of the things that um, you know people have uh, br you know brought up in the last couple months, um, but you know we'll just have to see where we end up. I think it's worth noting that some of those breaking changes you mentioned, like all around build pack distribution and the build plan, are mostly going to affect build pack authors. So from the point of view of end users building their application using the pack CLI, like the pack CLI interface will still continue to work for them, and they'll be able to sort of consume these changes using a builder image, which is like a set of build packs coupled with a lifecycle in a way that should insulate them from the breaking changes to a large extent. So a lot of the breakages are most relevant for build pack authors. That's a good point. We've, done, we've put a lot of work into sort of, uh, you know, insulating app developers from the changes in the projects. If you're just looking to build apps using cloud native build packs, it may, may not be a huge change for you. You'll get a project descriptor you can use to kind of provide more information, but it's also optional. Yeah, I, I, I think some of the dis distribution stuff uh, is not a breaking change, but allows probably more 
power and flexibility and control around kind of the build package stuff with distribution that allows you to kind of package uh, a set of build packs together. Uh, so uh, we've talked a lot about modularity being an important part of kind of the new build packs back and how we can break build packs down, but without a way to kind of group all those build packs together, uh, I mean, a little cumbersome, I think, uh, currently today to be like, I want this set of build packs that used to be one build pack, but is now broken up into a bunch of build packs uh, to kind of collectively as a user say, I need to use that thing. Um, and I think distribution spec will help uh, alleviate some of those pain points, I think, for customers today. Um, so stuff that you don't necessarily have to change now, but will, I think, make it easier for app developers in the future going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. The The interface for build pack developers in the distribution spec does uh, does kind of break a little bit because the build pack descriptor kind of, <laughs> that, that format gets different. So if you have a build pack now, you will you will have to make some changes to it for that to work. I think one of the, the big takeaways should be to remember that if you have created a running application image, then that is not going to change. You're not actually going to have any breaking changes in there. Um, what, what you have will be stable over time. And as we evolve the build pack specification, what we use to, to create that image is what ends up changing. Some upcoming features that might be of interest to application developers um, in the pack CLI include uh, more ways to inspect the image we've generated and get different types of metadata. So we're going to make it really easy to print out a bill of materials for your image and also um, get finer grained uh, metadata about specific components that are being added. We also have scratch images coming up in the life cycle pretty soon too. Uh, if you have a build pack that supports this, you'll be able to build a Go app or maybe a Java app that uh, has very minimal dependencies where it's just, just the application bits and no operating system bits around it. Uh, so we essentially build on a sort of a real, you know, Ubuntu Bionic or whatever uh, base image uh, and then you know, generate the OCI image in the end so that it doesn't have those operating system dependencies. And the, like, for instance, your Go binary is totally statically linked. Um, that there's a sort of an active PR for that right now, but I think it's going to need some discussion before it can get merged in. So speaking of PRs, pull requests, RFCs, uh, for folks who are interested in following along with the progress of these changes and our releases and um, just our roadmap in general, what avenues uh, do people have for watching, getting involved, those kinds of things? A primary point of discussion that we really try to point people towards is the RFCs repo that I know you guys at Heroku were really, really big on when we started the project as a way of uh, sort of as a contribution model that I think has gone very well, uh, where if you're, uh, you know, a, a contributor to the project and because it's changing rapidly, you know, you might not want to just dive in and start writing code. You might want to, you know, propose something, discuss it with us, figure out what the right sort of avenue forward is. Uh, and so we have this great RFCs repo where you can kind of you know, propose whatever you want and start a discussion there and we have a process around getting changes approved that sort of follows the CNCF sort of, you know, neutrality rules and, and kind of make sure that all contributions are treated equally. Yeah, we sunset our original roadmap uh, repo in light of kind of the RFC stuff. So we kind of moved a bunch of that work over. Uh, but you can also get in touch with us on Slack. We're you know, very responsive. Um, you know, we really, really like engaging with the community. So, you know, please, please come say hi. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, slack.buildpacks.io. Uh, from there, you can join our Slack. Uh, we also have a mailing list uh, provided through the CNCF. Or, of course, interact with us on any of our GitHub repos. And for those that just want to try BuildPacks, I think buildpacks.io has a documentation page where you can learn how to use the PAC CLI uh, and also how to author a BuildPack as well. 
Cool. Well, I'd like to thank uh, our friends from Pivotal for joining us here today. And I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for uh, listening to this podcast. Everything that we do in this project is driven by the feedback that we get from people who try the project, the users uh, who build build packs and, and author build packs. Uh, so we encourage you to take a look at buildpacks.io and uh, give build packs a try. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.